This evening's message is the penultimate one in a short series as we run up to Easter when we look at what it was that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, did and accomplished when he came into this world. And to help us consider those things as a basic framework for our thoughts, we've been using the words of the hymn by Philip Bliss, which begins with the line, Man of Sorrows. What a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to proclaim. Hallelujah, what a saviour. And we've seen, I trust, how in that hymn, Philip Bliss goes on to unpack the things within that opening verse. And we've used some of the lines of the hymn to help us see again what it was that the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to accomplish And this evening we're going to think about the theme of Christ lifted. Christ lifted. The penultimate verse for that hymn has these words. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah. What a saviour. We're going to think about Christ lifted up. And I want to bring to your attention, to begin with, three references, all from the Gospel of John. And they're all words of the Lord Jesus Christ speaking of himself. First of all, in John chapter 8 and verse 28, Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. Jesus, you see, came into this world in obedience at His Father's bidding. And these men of Jerusalem, these Jewish religious leaders, who would themselves put Jesus to death by means of their wickedness Christ would fulfill and accomplish the work that God the Father had sent him to do when you lift up the son of man then you will know I am he I am indeed the saviour the messiah I am the son of God as the Roman centurion would proclaim, when he saw him. This is no ordinary man. We're crucifying today, was the testimony of that hardened Roman soldier. And he saw it as Christ was lifted up. Jesus uses the phrase again of himself in John chapter 12. And at verse 31, we read these words of the Lord Jesus. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. You see, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ has come to do. He's come to defeat the evil one. The one who has his rule and his sway over this world, as we've seen in this little series. Christ has come to bring judgment. He's going to judge the evil one. 
And he'll also bring to judgment, of course, all who remain under the sway of the evil one. But, Jesus goes on, I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. This expression, being lifted up from the earth, clearly had a resonance when Jesus said it. Jesus knew that the cross lay before him. Now, crucifixion was, of course, under the Romans, a common form of execution. And we see clearly enough that Jesus knew and understood that if he was going to bring salvation, crucifixion was the means by which it must be accomplished. He must be lifted up. And he's constantly reminding his disciples, constantly instructing his disciples, this is why I have come, this is how it must be achieved, there is no other way. But perhaps one of Christ's most telling references was the one that we read in the third chapter of John. So it's really comparatively very early on in the gospel record that John gives us that he records these amazing words that Jesus says right at the start of his ministry as he speaks to Nicodemus. No one has ascended to heaven, but there's one who's come down from heaven. The Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, is the eternal God. He is the Word who's become flesh. He's come down from heaven to earth. And why has he come? Well, Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For us to be able to declare the Lord Jesus Christ as the Saviour, for us to be able to exhort men and women to believe on him, we can only do so because he went to the cross. And Jesus knew that. That was going to be the necessary condition for this great gospel to be able to be proclaimed at all, that he would go to Calvary. And he talks there, about the serpent being lifted up in the wilderness. And those of you who know your Old Testament will know exactly what it was that Jesus was referring to there. We actually read about it back in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament in chapter 21. And we read this account of what happened to the children of Israel. This takes place after they've come out of the, um, their captivity in Egypt. They journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. 
So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Here are the people. They're dying from this poison that has infected their bodies. How are they to find life where they are condemned to death? Look up to that which has been lifted up and you will live. Here is a world poisoned by sin which brings death. How are they to be healed? Look up to the one who is lifted and you will find everlasting life. Christ had to be lifted up in order that men and women might be saved. And praise God that he did. Praise God that he was. And in him and him alone there is salvation. And back in John chapter 12 we notice something very interesting at verse 32. He says, I will draw all peoples. He doesn't say I will draw all people. Not all people will be saved. But he will draw all peoples from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. There's quite a few nationalities represented in our congregation this evening. Quite a few skin tones represented in our congregation this evening. English will be spoken by quite a few different accents as we fellowship together at the end of the service. Why? Because Christ came for all peoples and from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, Christ has come to gather together one church. And here we are, just a little representation this evening of that one church that Christ would draw from all peoples, but only because he was lifted up. I want to read some words of the Apostle Paul from Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3, beginning to read at verse 10. This is what the Apostle teaches. As many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now what Paul is saying there is that God has laid down his way for men and women to live. And none of us have. None of us can keep that law which God has given. That law as we find summarised in the Ten Commandments. 
the law that is shortened down further, that we love God with all our heart, all heart, all our soul, all our mind, and that we love our neighbour as ourselves. We've all failed abysmally. And we bring God's curse upon us because of our lawlessness and our sinfulness. But Paul goes on, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. The just shall live by faith, yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Now what he's saying is that if it's just left to us to try and be law keepers, to make ourselves right with God, none of us stand a chance. And we're all, therefore, under this curse. But, Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ has gone to the cross made of wood. He's hanging on a tree, as it were, and he's taken sin's curse upon himself. Now this uh, phrase, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, it has its roots back in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 21. Those who had been put to death for some serious transgression of the law, because as you probably are aware, there were a number of things in the Old Testament, and if you were found guilty of this particular sin, the penalty was immediate death. If you'd been put to death because of a serious transgression of a law, sometimes your body was then hanged on a tree. But they were not to be kept hanging there overnight. They they were to be taken down and buried. Why were their bodies not allowed to remain on the tree? Because God's judgment had fallen upon them. They are defiled and they are cursed because of their sins. And their sins are a defilement and they are shameful and they are to be put out of sight. And into the place of such steps the Lord Jesus Christ. That place of sin and curse, that place of defilement and shame, as that body will be seen by people hanging on the tree. There is one who broke God's law. There is one who has received the curse of God in death. Such is Christ in my place and in your place as he hangs on the tree, lifted up. That's what it means. This is staggering, isn't it? Jesus wasn't just talking to the disciples saying only that he must suffer and die. He told them that many times, that he must suffer and die. But Jesus tells them clearly the purpose of his suffering and his death. And Jesus knew clearly the means and the method of his suffering and death. He was to be lifted up. At what stage during his earthly life as he grew from a babe 
to a toddler, to a child, to a teenager, into adulthood. At what stage he began to understand all of these things, I don't know. But certainly by the time he began his earthly ministry, he knew full well what it was that his father would have him do. Clearly, if we remember that story when he was in Jerusalem, just at the age of 12, even at the age of 12, it seems he had a very, very good grasp of these things. Nevertheless, we read in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 9, he steadfastly set his face. Some of the old translations have the phrase, he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. What would happen when he got there? He would be lifted up. Have you looked upon the lifted up one that you might be cleansed and healed and forgiven? Have you ever said these words or words like them? Behold, the man upon a cross, my sins upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice calling out amongst the scoffers. But it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Isn't it wonderful to be a Christian and to have such a saviour, the one who was lifted up? And in being lifted up, it was finished. It was finished. One of those great cries of the saviour as he hung on the cross Seven times Jesus spoke, and of those seven, here's this wonderful, it is finished. It's in John chapter 19 and verse 30. Only John in his gospel records these words of Christ. It is finished. And John continues, bowing his head, Jesus gave up his spirit to the thousands who were watching on that day it wasn't just the Roman centurion who realised that this was no ordinary crucifixion as the skies went dark as far as the eye could see darkness as the earth trembled as Christ even hanging on the cross, led one of the thieves to salvation. As he prayed for those who were killing him. This is no ordinary man. This is no ordinary death. But Jesus also, and uniquely, expired his own life at Calvary. In a way that no man has ever done. Now, Jesus spoke about this <clears throat> when he was teaching his disciples. He talks about it in John chapter 10. We read in verse 11 of John chapter 10, some well-known words, I am the good shepherd. 
the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He gives his life. But then he says something more startling still, a little bit further on from verse 17. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. This is the man who is God speaking. The one who is going to give and lay down his very life. You remember they came, a a method of speeding up the process of death on the cross was to break the victim's legs. When they came to Christ they had no need to do that. He'd already died and he died comparatively quickly. Crucifixion was a slow, painful death. Why was Christ already dead? He himself had given up his spirit. He himself had brought his own life to a close because the scriptures tell us he has the power to do it just as he would have the power to take it up again. It is finished. The work is done. As Jesus knew that it was finished, he gave up his spirit to his father. The whole will of God proclaims Christ has been accomplished. That he should be incarnate, that he should be the word made flesh. That the whole righteousness of the law should be something that he would fulfill through his perfect obedience in the sinless life that he lived. So that as he died, he died still without any sin of his own. That in his righteousness, we too might share in that righteousness. It's finished. That righteous life is over. But it's ended righteous, that we might have righteousness. That he should be lifted up, exposed to shame and reproach, to suffer, to die. The whole work that the Father had given him to do. Preaching the gospel, working miracles but now finally obtaining salvation for his people, all done, all finished. Redemption from sin's curse, secured and accomplished. Sin made an end of, full atonement and satisfaction given in his sacrifice. Complete and total pardon, peace with God, redemption from all iniquity, All the types and promises and shadows and prophecies of the Old Testament, all fulfilled, all finished. Jesus had said that he came to pay the ransom for our sins. It's finished. It's paid. The ransom's been paid in full. If you've ever had finance for a car, or maybe a mortgage for a house, the day comes when the final payment is made and the balance says 
0.00. Not a penny left to pay. Yes. It's mine. And God looks at his son. 0.00. And he looks at each sinner for whom Christ has died. Yes, they're mine. Everything paid. Not a penny left to pay. It is finished. That's the cry of Christ at Calvary. The sinner cannot make any contribution to their being saved from the penalty of sin. Here's the good news. You don't need to. There's nothing left to be done. Christ has done it all. It is finished. Now that's good news. We need to tell the world it's finished. The debt is paid in Christ. Now we began with Christ lifted. We're going to end with Christ lifted. Because he didn't stay dead. He did rise again the third day. And he's been lifted to a place of glory and exaltation. Now in two weeks time it'll be Easter Sunday. We'll remember and celebrate the empty tomb which was discovered by those grieving women early in the morning. They arrived of of course to complete the anointing for burial that they'd not had time to do on the Friday evening, late afternoon. As uh, the Sabbath fast approached, no time for all of those processes to be completed. He'd been buried in a hurry. They've come back. Let's finish that work that should have been done. Of course, they're met with the angel. He is not here. He is risen. Now, I'm I'm using the, the phrase that Jesus has been lifted. I do need to be careful at this point just to say that Jesus was not lifted from the tomb as if by some invisible hand of God that came and grabbed him and lifted him. Jesus himself rose from the dead. We heard how he says in John's Gospel in chapter 10, I have the power to lay my life down and I have the power to take it again. Jesus himself rose from the dead and left the tomb in his resurrection body and in the power of an endless life. Up from the grave he arose, we sing, with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose, the victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. And the Lord Jesus Christ is a risen, living, victorious saviour. The scripture makes many declarations concerning this risen, living, victorious Christ who has been lifted to a place of glory and honour once more. We read it in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost as the gospel is being preached and proclaimed and made known. Acts chapter 2 at verse 32. 
Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You can read a great declaration of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2. We won't read it this evening, but you can make a note of it if you wish to. It's uh, from where we get uh, that great hymn, At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, speaking of the the glory of the risen Saviour. But we'll conclude with Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, wherein the great vision that Christ gives the Apostle John John says, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth. And under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying blessing and honour and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Because Christ now is lifted up once more to that place of glory and exaltation and honour. The risen living Saviour. In all these gospel themes that we've been considering in this little series and which we preach over and over again, here is that which makes the work of Christ and the claims of his gospel so unique. Here is where the Christian faith parts company so completely from every other form of religion that you might find. God himself making atonement for our sins that forgiveness may be freely offered to all who will come in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, a risen and living Saviour, who is still the man who is God, restored to his place of glory and honour, reigning even now over all things, mediating for sinners a God's throne of grace, and one day to return in glory and in judgment. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah. What a saviour.